Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey. <laughs> hey. How are you What's doing? Up? I'm great. Good. I'm, I'm great. good this week. Yeah. What is new with you? We watched the Cecil Hotel I was going to bring it up if you didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's... if to. I mean, I mean oh, hello. Uh, I just had a stroke. But the documentary is really great. I mean, it's... Well, it's good and entertaining and spooky because the Cecil Hotel is all of those things. But it's like not the most satisfying thing and i won't like you know spoil anything but it's good but not the most satisfying thing yeah i know can, <laughs> can we say that it's unresolved i mean it's a case it's a it's an unsolved case it's an uns like is that yeah. well known i think so that's what's most unsatisfying to me yeah is that, like knowing that throughout this documentary at the end i'm probably not gonna have an answer yeah and we haven't like fully finished it but i've also been hearing that it's like obviously unresolved because it's an unsolved case so right. it's like not, I mean, it's, it's, it's entertaining for sure. And I definitely felt the heebie-jeebies each night we watched it, like pretty significantly. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it was cool to learn about it because I didn't really know too much about the Cecil Hotel. And I, I mean, it's, you know, pretty, pretty close to where we are. I mean, it's, yeah. we're not in downtown, but like, you know, we're close enough to it that I'm like, ooh, interesting. We're, we're close. I won't give a distance, but <laughs> yeah. we are within a drive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I wanted to... Um, Say, I'm really excited that we are already starting to get listener stories for like into the, our email. I, I put out a um, a TikTok video and I put it on our Instagram, basically asking you guys to give us your listener stories if you have any. And people are already doing that. And I'm so excited. I've already like read through a couple of them and they're so like so interesting and crazy. And I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So if you do have stories and you want to send them, please do because i am super pumped about it yes yes and that is all i will stop doing that but (laughs) i'm super excited to hear them because you've been keeping them from me so that i can get my genuine reaction hopefully that that is any is valuable in some way (laughs) yeah i think it'll it'll be fun i think it'll be fun but um anyway moving on i'm excited for this week's story because um i actually got it from a uh suggestion from the tiktok comments like someone was like hey look up this case and i was like okay so i like just did like a really quick google search just to see what it was about and i was like oh for sure that's the next episode we're gonna do so i just this is a good case oh yeah it's a super good case and it's actually not true crime which is usually my mo but this this week we're going for some wilderness ish nature shit you know okay yeah this is a this is different yeah it's gonna be fun and um I just wanted to give credit to the to the girl who, uh, or to the person that um, gave me the comment. It was Eddie Coop on TikTok. Um, so thank you, Eddie Coop. <laughs> thank you, Eddie Coop. Love it. Yes. Keep them coming. Yes, for sure. If you have suggestions, please let us know because we'd love to look into them. Um, so this week, we're going to be talking about the Trashman Yacht Disaster. What? Yeah. So Trashman Yacht. Yes. It was a yacht named the Trashman. Oh my god! And I don't know. I don't know if if it was like, if the person's name was Trashman or something. But it 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 just I read it as Trashman. <laughs> like that's what it is. Yeah, I think we're gonna refer to it as such. Oh, uh, for sure. Trashman. Like imagine that being your last name. That would suck. That would kind of suck. Yeah. I, I don't know, but it seems like a meme. Like it has to be a meme. A little bit. I, yeah, I feel like it's it's kind of a joke, but I don't yeah. really know it for sure. But um, I was just thinking about like like unfortunate last names that i've heard in my day and i was just thinking about there's one that my mom told me about it was like dr butts or something like someone (laughs) to have a last name like that is like it's pretty funny but anyway so yeah so we're gonna be talking about the trash man yacht disaster and uh we're gonna bring it on back to 1982 that is when our story takes place yeah so the trash man was a brand new 58-foot yacht that was in Bar Harbor, Maine at the time. And the new owner of this yacht was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So a small crew of five people was very hastily put together so they could deliver this yacht to its owner. Mm. And the thing about this crew is that they had never sailed together before. They were just very 
quickly and haphazardly thrown together to deliver this yacht. So uh, it would be a six-day voyage from Bar Harbor, Maine, and sail about 1,600 miles or 2,574 kilometers, because hello, non-American listeners, um, <laughs> down the east coast of uh, the you know, United States and to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So the most experienced sailor on board was Deborah Scaling Cayley. And she was the first American woman to completely, uh, to complete the grueling Whitbread Round the World race. So she is a very experienced sailor. Um, Deborah said that... Raise handing. Uh, um, <laughs> raise handing. The bottom line is that she's a badass. Oh, sailor. yes. 100%. Yes, she is 100% a badass. Um, So Deborah said that she loves to sail because you're working with nature. Um, She also described herself as an adrenaline junkie. Mm. So Deborah was hired for the run by the yacht skipper, John Lippeth. Yes, that's his name. Um, And John uh, had the scraggly sailor look um, that Deborah described him as and she said that he was someone who could celebrate anything she said he cracked a beer the minute she met him so he was like very (laughs) very high spirits like he was just looking to kind of have some fun Um, and John had she said John had an impressive resume as well he had been the skipper of a boat called the Black Knight which was the committee boat for the America's Cup and I mean I don't really fully know what that is but i'm sure sailing people do um so which basically meant that john was a decent boatman she was you know she was like okay i don't know this guy but he has a pretty impressive resume john also brought along with him his girlfriend meg mooney for the trip now meg wasn't experienced in sailing at all she was really just there for the ride she was just looking for some boat parties and getting some sun you know (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of where meg was at well, I don't know how long you're going to be able to enjoy that if you're coming from Maine. Yeah. What month is it? Like, what season? Is it, like, warm? I I want to say March. I don't think it was going to be, like, hot. I don't know for a fact that it was in March. It might have been, like, May. I could be completely making that up, but... <laughs> I'm just... I'm sorry. Like, if you don't know, it's fine. I'm just imagining her, like, going in January. Like, I'm going to have fun, and it's going to be, like, a beach party every day on the boat. And yeah. Like, no, well, but... <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's going to be like 30 yeah. at best. Right. Um, so this is number three, the person number three on the crew. Yes. Yeah. So we have John, uh, Deborah, and now John's girlfriend, Meg. So then um, there was Brad Kavanaugh, who was the youngest crew member, and he signed up because Debbie was on board, apparently. I think they knew each other prior. I'm fairly certain. So Brad was a decent sailor, but not anywhere near Debbie's league. And finally... The trash man picked them up or picked up its last crew member, Mark Adams, in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and Mark was an English sailor and he was a friend of Brad's. I see. So they pretty much went half their voyage with four people. Um, or not. Maybe I don't half? really know where Maryland is. Yeah, I don't think it was Relative half. to Florida. But like it's a ways down, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they picked up Mark in Maryland. And now... Oh, so when they pick up Mark from the jump, he was pretty condescending toward Debbie. Um, And so she was like, okay, sick. Like, first of all, I am very experienced. And second of all, who are you to question me? Whatever. He was just kind of, he rubbed her the wrong way. And he was just, he had a really chauvinistic attitude. And he was just the type of guy that said shitty stuff to get a raise out of people, which is just like not the best quality to have. No, no, not when you're working as a team. Right. So this guy's a douche. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, so this is our crew. We have five people on board, four of, four of which are experienced sailors, one of which is, is along for the ride. Douche. <laughs> no, Mark is a sailor, but Meg is along for the ride. No, no, I was talking about the chauvinist guy. Yes, Mark. Oh, okay. So Meg is not the sailor. Okay. Yes. I'm on, I'm on the same. We're all on board. Yep. So <laughs> leaving Annapolis, everyone was in pretty high spirits. They were all just ready to get their journey started. And Brad said that he was especially because he was like, I'm on a yacht with some really cool new people and we're going to take a big trip. And he just said he couldn't be happier. So they are back on open ocean and everyone is getting along and excited. Their first day at sea was an easy sail, and by the night, they were right on schedule. The weather was beautiful, and everyone was still having fun. Although, the nice weather didn't last long. It quickly turned into a storm that would get worse as time went on. Now, 
It was John's turn to be steering the boat, so he and Meg were up on top dealing with the storm. But after some time, John comes running down into the boat and wakes up Debbie to tell her that the storm is getting worse and the boat is taking on water and that Meg fell over and was hurt pretty badly. So he asked Debbie if she can come take a look at Meg's injuries. Is Debbie like a medical? Like she probably trained. Well, I mean, she's the most experienced boatman on board, so I'm sure she had some sort of first aid experience. I'm not sure. But basically what I'm getting at is like the weather wasn't so bad that he was concerned about necessarily the weather but meg had fallen over and now that was the concern Uh, okay so he wasn't concerned that they were going down no not at this point i mean we're getting there but so basically debbie gets out of bed to go check on meg's injuries and debbie's confused because there wasn't supposed to be a storm um and she figured it was a squall which is a localized storm with a sudden violent gust of wind and rain or snow and sleet but you know, for them, it was wind and rain, and it comes in fast and leaves pretty quickly as well. But this storm was not a squall. It wasn't going anywhere, and it was only building momentum. And conditions were deteriorating fast. So the waves were insane. They were like, I think, like 40 feet high or something crazy, like huge waves. And Debbie said that when the boat was surfing down the waves, it was like a roller coaster. She also compared it to when an elevator drops. Don't like that. No, hate that, actually. Um, From below deck, Debbie and Brad are preparing for everything. And above deck, Mark is hammered and howling into the storm. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I thought you'd like that one. (laughs) I'm just imagining that scene, just like seeing him like, dude, what are you doing? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was completely hammered and just, like, screaming into the storm. Of course. And Debbie was like, are you kidding me? So back to Meg. What happened was she was above deck and John and Mark were, you know, up there as well. And when the boat fell with a huge wave, she was wiped out um, because her tether didn't keep her from falling. So I think when you're in really bad weather that you have, like, a tether on you that's connecting you to the boat that way you don't literally yeet off the boat right so but you know meg as a non-experienced sailor or boat person was not familiar with like how to be on a boat in a storm so she just fell and really hurt herself pretty badly so Uh, so she didn't tether herself no she she was tethered but she like hit the deck really hard okay yeah so debbie comes to assess meg's injuries below deck and she's like okay, what was she doing on deck to begin with? Because she had no experience in boating, let alone being on deck in the middle of a storm. And then Meg rolls over onto her stomach and Debbie said, you could see that there was already bruising beginning all through her kidney area, which she said must have been extremely painful. Ooh, not good. So she's like bleeding internally. I mean, yeah. I mean, bruising is bleeding internally. So from her kidneys, that sounds bad. Around her kidney area. Yeah, she was, she was, Meg does not do well in this, unfortunately. (laughs) I'm starting to get that vibe. Yes. So in an attempt to get the boat out of the storm, John wants to bring them into the coast to wait it out. But he soon realizes that he doesn't have any charts for the part of the coast that they're on. So he doesn't have a way to like know which way to go, essentially. Mm. Um, And he... You know, I don't think he was necessarily trying to get out of the storm because he th- he didn't think the boat could handle it. I think he was like, okay, Meg is injured. Things are getting crazy. We need to get to the coast. But he didn't have charts. So Debbie said this was just one more bad omen that things weren't great and that John wasn't as prepared for the trip as she thought he was. So once John figures out that he has no charts, he uses the radio to call the Coast Guard and request directions since... They don't have what they need to safely get them back into land. So as John is trying to figure that stuff out, Debbie and Brad go above deck to take the next watch. As they get up on deck, they see just how out of control the weather has truly become. And Debbie said the winds were gusting at about 50 miles per hour, which is fast. (laughs) Definitely fast. I think what like a tropical storm is like 70 Mm -hmm. and then a hurricane's above that. Mm hmm. So they're almost... Yeah, it was like hurricane-level winds, and the waves were just gigantic. Like, really terrible storm. And like I am like I said earlier, only continued to get worse for, like, quite some time. Not great. No. So Mark was still up on deck and still hammered, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
Debbie's like, okay, you are a bigger idiot than I thought. <laughs> like, this is not great. But Mark doesn't care. It's like, Mark, the bar was low, and uh, I'm not surprised. Right. So the Coast Guard had advised them to go to Wilmington, North Carolina, but they altered course and started heading toward the coast instead. So because of that, the waves only got worse and they really, really started smashing into the boat and impacting really hard on this boat. They kept comparing the waves to a really bad amusement park ride. Like it was, um, you know, the one with the pirate ship that like jerks you up in and down in the shape of a U, you know yeah. what I'm talking about yeah, where yeah, it swings? Yeah. They said, you never, you never go all the way upside down, but you're like 90 degrees. Okay. That's like what was happening with the boat. So they are really not doing great. And it's scary, (laughs) like highly scary. I mean, at least for me, I'm not an experienced boat person by any means. And I'm terrified of the ocean. So the idea of being in a storm on a boat in the middle of the ocean in general, like is one of my worst nightmares. So this is like nightmare fuel, 100,000% for me. Yeah, at 90 degrees. mm. Yeah, that's like scary (laughs) to say the least. At this point... The yacht sails had been ripped off in the storm. So surprising. Right. So John turns to the engine in a last ditch effort to power them through the waves. But very soon after, the alarm started going off from the engine because it had overheated. The engine was their only way to charge any batteries, which meant that they were quickly going to run out of power to speak to anyone from off the vessel, aka the Coast Guard. So now they have no engine and no sails, and they're completely at the mercy of these insane waves, just haphazardly floating away and straight up not having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) You totally wrote that in there. Of course I did. (laughs) Yes. So all this time, John had only contacted the Coast Guard about where they should go, but not to be like, hey, we need serious help. Because apparently to call for help was a, a big no-no for some reason, possibly because it's a shame thing, um, but like you can't control the damn ocean, so I don't see the shame in calling for help. But the crew didn't see it the same way, and they didn't want John to call for help. But at this point, he did because their situation was getting exponentially worse. He tells them that they need immediate rescue meaning the Coast Guard. He calls the Coast Guard and says, we need immediate rescue because our engine has failed. We're running on emergency power and the sails are damaged beyond repair. Yeah, I'm like, even if you do weather the storm, it sounds like you can't move. Or you, like, you're moving, but not in any direction you can track. Right, <laughs> you know? you're at the will of the current. Yeah. Debbie said she had never been on a boat that had requested for assistance before. And she said it felt very odd because it was like giving up. So even Debbie's like, I don't, want to call for help like what are we rookies like this is (laughs) this is our job so she said john's big issue was getting meg off the boat and mark who was still drunk off his ass got really pissed because you know john called for rescue and that really hurt his ego apparently so mark was pissed because he believed a sailor should be self-sufficient and only wusses would call the coast guard it's like all right mark have some water (laughs) drink some water truly Mark. mark Go, go drink some water, sit in the bathroom, you know, like just take a load off. Maybe but puke. Maybe puke. <laughs> <laughs> Pull trig, Mark. But Brad's like, hey, dummy, John is the skipper, so he calls the shots. Like he's like, Mark, shut up. Like this is mm. not your decision to make. Mm. So John does manage to get through to the Coast Guard and they tell him that two ships, the Exxon Huntington and the Gypsum King were coming to help, but they were four hours away. These were the only ships that were close enough to this boat to be of any assistance. So, you know, that's what the Coast Guard said. They're like, we can't come out to you right now, but these, you know, cargo ships will meet you in four hours. Um, both of those ships were merchant vessels, but they were the closest to the trash men at the time. So the Coast Guard sent them to help. And now that the crew has heard that help is on its way, it gave them a real false sense of security, which Debbie said was really the kiss of death. So right after making the arrangements with the Coast Guard for the rendezvous point, they lose their emergency power and they lose contact with any outside uh, people. That's scary because like you, 
like you're going to meet at a rendezvous point but like you know even if you meet a friend at some restaurant you still call them and be like where are you at yeah for it's sure like, i mean once and you, you get there you're in the middle of the ocean yeah. <laughs> like there's no clear like i mean i guess there's coordinates but like, it's like yeah by the water yeah <laughs> by the waves <laughs> right okay so at this point the boat is just being battered by the waves and after hours and hours on watch and they assume the help is on the way debbie and brad decide to get some rest everyone was so exhausted uh except apparently mark who is still drunkenly screaming into the wind on top. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew that would get you i don't time. know why it's so funny to me i'll stop yes <laughs> but for a brief moment debbie thought maybe she should go up on deck but then she thought no it's not my problem now and she decided it would be best to just get some sleep Brad said, in a situation like that, you really can't get sleep because of the rocking and all the noise from the storm, so they just did their best to get as much rest as possible. Brad's just lying there with his thoughts, absolutely terrified that this boat was going to break apart. Um, And at this point, Mark even calls quits and tries to get some rest himself. The boat was impossible to steer at this point, so Mark tied off the helm and decided to go below deck and rest as well. Brad, however, is still anxiously lying awake as their situation got much worse. Brad recalled a moment when the boat got to the top of one of these huge waves and it fell from the top and went into a full free fall. And upon impact, the window completely shattered and was smashed out. So now water begins pouring into the boat. Right. Um, This is bad just to clear up (laughs) in case you were confused this is bad um so brad starts waking everyone up in a panic because now the boat is officially sinking and also going down extremely fast so he gets debbie out of bed and she doesn't even have a chance to grab anything and they just immediately need to go above deck and try to abandon ship as they're scrambling to get above deck, John is trying, to, still trying to reach the Coast Guard and is screaming, Mayday, we're sinking into the radio. So this is just the, and I'm just painting a picture of the environment that they're in. They're scrambling to get to the top. The boat is going down. There's water coming in and there's screaming and chaos everywhere. Debbie described getting above deck in that moment as a slow motion dream. It was gray and crazy and tumultuous. She said she looked around and there was nothing. All she saw was blackness surrounding the boat because it's the middle of the night. They're in a bad, bad storm. And it looks like there's nothing. Like it's just nothingness, which is also nightmare fuel, in my opinion. Have you ever been on the ocean in the middle of the night? Not like open ocean. So like, no. But I I know how dark it gets out there. So I I hate the idea. Yeah, I know. Like I hadn't either uh, until um, it was like my sophomore year of high school. But like it's very frightening it's like completely different than any other dark i've ever experienced because it's so devoid of light Mm -hmm. yeah yeah actually i take that back i have been on a couple cruises so yes i have been in the middle of the open ocean at night but i don't like it it scares me (laughs) did you just stay on deck yes i just don't look because that's terrifying yeah um, yeah, they're like, oh, it's a floating city. And my response to that is, city shouldn't float, personally. That's just... <laughs> what happened to the Titanic? Right. City shouldn't float. City shouldn't float. For sure. Uh, yeah, so they are quickly going down. And I'm saying, I'm talking like, this is all happening in a matter of like two minutes. Quick. Like, this is very quick. So Debbie jumps off the boat, like, without thinking. She's just like, in a, in that moment, you just need to get yourself away from this sinking vessel like that's the only thing that's on her mind she said you don't think about dying or drowning or anything really you just think about getting away from this sinking boat and uh it was going down like a big rock like fast Mm. and (laughs) have i said it's going down fast yet (laughs) Uh, so on deck there was a pressurized canister that held a big life raft and inside it had everything they would need to survive including the big life raft, a saltwater purifier, which we talked about in the other episode where the guy was stuck in the middle of the ocean. I don't remember his name. Do you know what I'm talking about? The the episode you did. Uh, Yes, I know. I don't remember his name either. Anyway, they had those saltwater purifier things. Um, There was food, fish hooks, rations, flares, first aid equipment, 
and an emergency beaconing device that a plane could have picked up on, as well as mirrors for sig signaling other boats, and it might have even had a radio in it. So literally everything. And let me guess, they lost it with the boat. Ding, ding, ding. You are <laughs> correct. So, well, they didn't lose it with the boat. So Mark is really struggling with this canister to get it untied and into the water in time. So, Because he's hammered. Well, yes. And also, it's chaos. Like, the storm is crazy. There's There was no organization happening. It was just absolute chaos to get off of this boat. So Mark was really struggling with it to get it unhooked from the boat so that they could throw it into the water and access anything that they would need for survival, as one should in this right. situation. But while he's doing that, Brad grabs another inflatable dinghy and throws it into the water at Debbie and jumps into the water himself, just as like, you know, last resort, we're going to put this in the water as well. Right. Um, so this was a rubber Zodiac dinghy, and it was just a dinghy. That's all it was. Uh, it was pretty small, and there was nothing in it that would help for survival. Just a dinghy. So in that moment that Brad jumped into the water after the dinghy, he kicks off his foul weather bottoms and sea boots, um, and <laughs> in that moment thought to himself, ah, shit, my dad's going to kill me because I just let his boots sink. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's what's on his mind. And I was like, hey, Brad, you got a lot of other stuff going on. Yeah, it, it's weird to me that both Debbie and him are not thinking about dying at this point. Yeah, I definitely would have been thinking about dying. I would have been thinking about dying before the storm happened. Yeah, you would have been like hours ago. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he has this this thought in that moment and then he realizes how horrified his mom would be if he dies at sea so he kind of realizes the severity of the situation after that you know boots thought right but it's like not even like i'm going to die that's horrible it's like oh my mom's gonna be really pissed yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting what goes through a person's head in a moment like that so mark finally gets this canister with the life raft and all of the survival supplies unhooked and throws it off of the boat and jumps in after it. The canister inflates, but Mark lets go of the life raft and everything that they could possibly need for survival just floats away. And they can't get oh, it no. because one, it's nighttime, two, it's the middle of a storm, and three, they just were not prepared for anything. It's gone. All they have is this rubber dinghy. So, so he didn't catch it. No, he let go of it and it blew away. Oh, yes. Rough. Debbie said their chances for survival was zero. That's what she said. So John manages to jump off the boat and swim over to the Zodiac and grab hold with Debbie, Brad, and Mark. So this Zodiac rubber dinghy is flipped upside down and they're just clinging onto ropes on the side of the dinghy. They're not even in it. They're just clinging onto the side, dangling in the water. Okay. For dear life. Yes, because they need to hold on for dear life. So John makes it over to the dinghy. Um, but as he gets there, he notices that Meg isn't there with him and so as the boat is sinking they re they hear meg screaming and they see that meg was stuck within the rigging on the side of the boat which is just like ropes and wires and like a lot of no. stuff and she was you know wailing because she's oh obviously in a lot of pain right um debbie is screaming at her to get away from the yacht um, but Meg was not an experienced enough boat person and didn't have the knowledge or the sea savvy to be able to watch the waves and know when the right time to swim over was. And she's like caught up in this stuff, so she can't really do much. Right. Um, Sounds like she's like tied to the boat pretty much, right? Pretty much, yeah. Debbie said she knew that if she didn't go back to get her, she would die. So she swims over, back over to the boat in this storm, while Brad is screaming at her not to go, but she gets there and tells Meg to keep her head above water and helps her swim out to the dinghy with the rest of the crew. Wow. A real hero. What a fucking badass. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, and I don't want to blame anyone here because this is a truly life or death situation, but like, isn't John kind of like supposed to keep track of Meg at this point? 
Like that's your yeah, girlfriend. That's a good point. And also it's like weird that the that Debbie's the one who saved. Yeah, her, I know. Not you. <laughs> I don't need her. Yeah, like I don't I don't want to <laughs> judge because I can't because I'm not in that situation and I don't know what it was like. Absolutely not. Yeah. But it's just it was just 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 interesting. Just an interesting, interesting uh, yeah. thing to think about. Yeah. Also, Debbie is going above and beyond. Oh yes, for sure. So she gets Meg over to the dinghy and the storm is still blaring. The dinghy, like I said, is upside down and all five of them are still in the water and just holding on to the sides. Debbie said in that moment, she remembers watching the last bit of the trash man go under the water, like the very, very top of it. The last little like up, like the last little bit of piece, piece, you know, go down. Brad said the entire trash man went down in less than a minute. So it was quick. A quick, a minute. Chaotic, this all happened in one minute. Like about, yeah, like a minute or two from the time they woke up and every and getting all the canisters <laughs> off the boat and the dinghy and jumping in the water and swimming over and whatever. Like was about two minutes. Okay, two minutes. That's slow. <laughs> oh, I could do that. <laughs> I could do that. That's easy. Child's play. So because they did contact the Coast Guard earlier about their situation, and at this point they would have been about 30 minutes late to their rendezvous point, the crew believed that the Coast Guard would have been starting a search team to come find them. So all they needed to do was stay afloat and wait for the Coast Guard to find them. Where's Mark? Um, he's there. He, when he oh, lost, he's with all of them. Yeah. When all he, five of them are on the dinghy. Uh, holding onto the sides of the dinghy, dangling sure. in the water. Um, yes. When Mark lost the life raft, he swam over to the dinghy with you know everyone else. So the next day, when the sun started to come up, the storm had, I mean, not died down because it was very much still happening, but um, the sky was still overcast and gray and the air temperature was 40 degrees Fahrenheit or four degrees Celsius. How are they not hypothermic? Well, that is a real thing that they are dealing with right now. They're like, we could very easily die of hypothermia right now. And they're still floating in the water, holding onto the sides of this dinghy. Um, Debbie knew that they would definitely succumb to hypothermia if they stayed how they were. So Debbie has the idea that they all need to go underneath the dinghy and use it as a shelter and get out of the wind. So Debbie, Brad, Mark, and John all go underneath, but Meg couldn't participate because she was too claustrophobic and having a panic attack. So she was like, I can't do it. I won't do it. Just go do it. And they were like, okay, (laughs) like gotta survive. So it's like a dome, pretty much, and they're just, like, kind of under the water. Still floating, but, like, covered? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was upside down. You know what I mean? So right. It's like, okay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So underneath the dinghy, Debbie tells the guys that they need to get out of the water since it's cooling their body temperature down, and they need to keep warm. So they were able to rig a line and suspend their bodies on top of one another to use each other's body heat and get as much out of the water as they could. Um, Debbie said the storm uh, was raging outside, but they were able to lay down underneath the dinghy and it was so quiet and peaceful, which was very deceptive. And they were kind of able to like rest and go back into this like amniotic state. Right. You know? After some time of being under the dinghy, the air became very thick and stale from the lack of oxygen. And John started saying that he was having heart pains. Debbie knew that he was most likely just hyperventilating because of the lack of air, but he believed that he was having a heart attack. And they all need, they all ended up going back out from underneath where Meg was still floating. So John is freaking out about his chest pain and Meg begs everyone to get him into the dinghy because she believes he's having a heart attack too. And she's like, we need to get him out of the water, otherwise he's going to die. So they flip the dinghy over and the wind is still blowing like crazy and it's only about 40 degrees, but they flip it over and they lift Meg inside. As they lift Meg inside, she starts screaming bloody murder and the crew is absolutely horrified to discover that Meg had a huge gash on her leg and had been bleeding into the water this entire time. No, no, no. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. So the wire. This is like Jaws. Yeah. Oh yeah. You don't even know. We're going to get into it. So the wire from the rigging that she was caught up in had almost cut all the way to the bone on her thigh. And she had huge gaping wounds on her legs and arms. Debbie said seeing that was absolutely heartbreaking because 
just those wounds alone were a death sentence. So Mark, Brad, and John climb in after Meg, and they're all freezing. They're soaked, and the wind is whipping. And at this point, Mark is like, it's too cold. We need to turn it back over and get underneath again, or we're going to freeze to death. Mark and Debbie get back in the water, and John and Brad were like, sure, go ahead, but we're going to stay in the boat. So Mark does. He jumps in the water with Debbie still holding onto the side, and the two of them are there for only about a minute when Mark starts complaining to Debbie about how she's kicking him. She's like, stop. He's like, stop kicking me. And Debbie's like, I'm not touching you. Like, I'm not kicking you. What are you talking about? And Mark is like, there it is again. Stop kicking me. And Debbie is very confused and says, what the hell are you talking about? I'm literally not touching you. And she decides to put her face in the water to look below them. And as she looks below, she sees these torpedo-shaped bodies. (laughs) And at first, she thinks to herself, fish. No. But then once or but then one came really close and she realized they were sharks there were hundreds of sharks below hundreds hundreds not tens (laughs) hundreds she said they were everywhere she has never seen so many sharks in her life and sharks are really abundant in this region there were a bunch of different species but the biggest and most dangerous to lurk in those waters were tiger sharks And tiger sharks can grow up to 18 feet in length, and they have a varied appetite, earning them the nickname trash can with fins. As they feed, I know. So they feed on prey from dolphins to sea turtles, other sharks, and garbage. And also, they're known to attack humans as well. Like, they're one of the few shark species that is, like, actually very dangerous to humans. Um, Of course. Yes, of course, right? (laughs) Very fitting. So she takes her face out of the water and starts screaming, sharks, obviously. <laughs> Not as the, one does. As one should. So Debbie and Mark jump up into the dinghy. And just as they get themselves up, there are fins coming up everywhere. Ooh, like chills. Yeah, like 20 fins at a time popping up everywhere. She said she had never seen so many sharks in her life. And Debbie said to this day, she doesn't know why the sharks didn't attack them that night. Because between Meg's, le- Meg's bleeding leg and the five of them treading water for so long, it makes no sense that they weren't all eaten. So they're all in the dinghy, and there was a flat piece of wood in the dinghy, and Mark grabs onto it to hit the sharks away, because that makes sense. Um, and Brad takes it from him before he can actually do anything with it, because he says, dude, don't hit the sharks. It'll only make them more mad. Like, why would you start hitting sharks? There's also a hundred of them. Well, yeah, you're not going to be able to hit a hundred sharks away. And he's like, well, if you, if you hit them, they're going to be more aggressive. No, (laughs) like that's his thought process, which is fair enough. So now their biggest threat wasn't just the cold. Now they had to worry about a wave breaking underneath them and dumping them back into the shark-infested water. They had to come up with a plan to try to slow the dinghy down. So Brad comes up with the idea to make a sea anchor out of the piece of wood that he took from Mark to stabilize the top. So he attaches a wire to the board and throws it into the water. But as soon as they throw the wood over into the water, a shark swam up and grabbed it in its mouth and was pulling the dinghy really fast and these were not little sharks the one that had the makeshift anchor in its mouth was big enough to pull a 13 foot rubber dinghy with five people inside which was at least 700 pounds wildly through the water so i I don't like to think about how big that shark was but it was big (laughs) big and as this is happening brad detaches the wood from the dinghy and the pulling stops because he manages to get the the rope detached and, you know, it stops. So by that night, the storm had finally died down, but the sharks are still out there. The crew is very wet, hungry, and thirsty, and the night air is now freezing them. This is night two, and everyone knows that the threat of not making it through the night is very real. Meg then spots a light and starts yelling and pointing and freaking out. And so they all turn around and they're like, holy shit, that's a boat. And they they believe that it's the Coast Guard looking for them. So they start paddling towards it and they're all so excited. 
But then the reality of the situation sets in and they realize that it's pitch black out there and they're really far away. So the likelihood of them seeing this small dinghy in the middle of open ocean at night is slim to none. Brad said, if you can't make eye contact with someone on a ship, then you're too far away from them to see you. So he's not even paddling at this point because he doesn't want to waste any more of his energy. So as this is happening, it starts to downpour on them. And all five of them immediately stop what they're doing to try to catch the water in their mouth because it had been almost 48 hours without water. Brad said all he got was the wind blowing through his mouth and actually dried his mouth further than, you know, any of the moisture that he caught with his tongue. Um, And as soon as the rain started, it stopped. And Debbie said that it was like God was spitting on them and laughing at their situation. Then, yeah, right? So then they remembered the ship. And when they looked out again, it was gone. And that was the ultimate despair because that was very well their only chance at survival, you know? Like, so they're like, we we don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> like, that, that very well could have been it. And, oh yeah, remember the sharks? <laughs> they never went away. And they never go away. So there was always a fin, and they were always bumping up against the raft, and it was just a constant reminder that they were in a nightmare, you know? Wow. Right? Persistent, bitch. <laughs> they're very persistent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and right when the fins would go away for a while and they thought the sharks were gone, they would always come back. Um, so now their situation has gone from bad to worse to nightmarish. But now we're going into day three. So John asks Debbie if she thinks a ship will come by and save them. And Meg's response is the Coast Guard is still out there looking for us. And Debbie is not having any of it anymore, and is like, hey guys, I got news for you. The Coast Guard isn't coming. They never were. They forgot about us. We're on our own. And everyone just looked at her like she had lost her mind, but she wasn't wrong. You know, Brad estimated that they were anywhere from 35 to 135 miles off the coast, but in reality, it was worse. They were 140 miles or 225 kilometers from the coast and only getting blown further out into the Atlantic. Bad. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> um, so, so Brad and Debbie partner up and they promise that they're going to be a team and help each other survive. They needed to form a bond to keep each other alive. And in that moment, they needed to know that someone else was looking out for them. Debbie said that if it had come down to someone trying to hurt Brad or kill him, she would have done her best to take them out because he was her partner in survival. And she said, quote, I sensed that Brad and I both knew that the other three were at best useless and at worst doomed. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So Debbie and Brad made a pact to take turns sleeping and guarding one another and set up normal watches. Wait, so they are guarding one another essentially just so then not only do they think that the other crew members are useless they think they're dangerous well i don't know that they thought the the crew members were like directly dangerous to them but they were like listen when it comes down to it we are going to keep take care of each other you know because they're they're doing their own thing and they're not they're not prepared you know Hmm. so she's like we gotta we gotta focus on number one and two which is me and you Right. Yeah. At this point, the crew is not only suffering from dehydration and hunger, but now infection. The bottom of the dinghy had a layer of liquid composed of urine, blood, and pus, and was giving off an insanely terrible odor. So the five of them are now getting massive staph infections all over their body from sitting in this liquid. So they all have really bad rashes all over their bodies. And when the bacteria enters the body through a break in the skin, and when it enters the bloodstream, it can cause fever, racing heart, and confusion. Their staph infections were at the point where they knew it could soon attack their heart and lungs. Meg was at particular risk because of her open wounds. And at this point, it was pretty clear that she was dying of blood poisoning. So night three hits. And the mixture of staph infection, starvation, and dehydration is, you know, very present, and they were all very delirious. So Brad and Debbie wake up to find Mark and John drinking ocean water. And they're both like, what are you doing? 
because everyone knows that drinking ocean water is never something you should do. It only dehydrates you further and it causes your kidneys to shut down and you begin to have delusions and it will ultimately kill you. And they know this, so it's very confusing to them why they're drinking ocean water. Debbie said they didn't know exactly how long it would take before they started to see the effects of the salt water, but she estimated anywhere around seven hours. And she was right. So now John and Mark are completely hallucinating. It was like the two of them were putting on some crazy play and they were screaming things and speaking nonsense. And at one point, John started screaming that he saw land. But when Debbie and Brad turned around to look, there was very much nothing there. Like, he was 100% hallucinating. And they had to deal with this crazy nonsense all day long. And Debbie was like, at, at that point, she was like, I am so sick of this because it was nonsense. Then, uh, you know, a few hours later, John stands up and says that he's going to get the car. He's like, uh, right. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to go get the car and they'll bring the boat around. And I'm going to go grab my, grab my car. <laughs> Which is like, I'm not laughing at that because that is insanely sad and like crazy. Yeah. But it's just like, I, I don't even know what the right response is to that. Like, yeah, it's just nonsense. Where he's at. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, John walks off of the side of the boat and into the water. And everyone's like, hey, dude, you need to get back in the boat because there's no land and there are sharks still swimming out there. But he starts swimming away. He's like, nope, I'm going to go get the car. And he just swims further out. And no one can do anything because no one had any energy to go in after him. And they knew how dangerous it was. Right. If you go in a after him, you probably drown too. Yeah. He doesn't have a life vest on. No, right? they didn't have anything in this dinghy. It was just them and the dinghy. That's it. So after about a minute, they heard a shrill blood curdling scream and John was gone. A shark had pulled him under and then it was quiet. And the crew was just quiet. And all Meg said was, he's gone. Oh, my God. Yeah. So after John's death, the group went quiet and they were all just in shock. I mean, Meg cried quietly, but for the most part, no one said anything. The rest of them just continued to float aimlessly in the open ocean. And after a little while, Mark goes over to Meg's side and starts quietly talking to her, saying, I know what will take your mind off of John. I'll take care of you. And he then said, hey, lady, I think it's about time you and me had sex. Mark, right now? Well, so Meg... He's hallucinating though, right? Yes, very much so. And Meg isn't responding. She's so sick and weak, and she's just having none of this. And she's obviously just lost her boyfriend, so she's distraught. And so Debbie and Brad were on the other side of this dinghy, which is not far. They were just, you know, on the other side. And Debbie hears this and she's like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is going on? And she wakes up Brad and is like, we got to stop this. And Brad says to Debbie, we just need to see how things turn out because they didn't have any energy to do anything. And it, you know, if it wasn't absolutely necessary, they couldn't expend more energy. Like we said, he was hallucinating. And I think it's important to realize that Mark was in fact, dealing with the effects of drinking the ocean water. So it's really easy to be like, oh, what a creep. But he was very much hallucinating. And, you know, I'm just going to try not to judge the situation too harshly because it's like, there's just so many other factors, you know? Yeah, we, we weren't there. Yeah, it's just terrible all around. Like, you know, case in point, terrible. But Mark doesn't do anything. And soon he tells all three of them that he's going to go to 7-Eleven to get more beer and cigarettes. And oh, Brad... No. Brad says to Mark, you know, we're on a dinghy, right? And he's like, yeah, I'll just be a minute. <laughs> so Mark's... I'm sorry. Like, I know, I know it's <laughs> probably he right before he dies, but I'm just, this is uncomfortable no, after. It's uncomfortable. And also it's just like craziness. Like you can't even imagine how that would become a scenario that people are in. But yeah. it, it is. And it's just like, I can't even wrap my head around that. It just sounds silly, but it's very much not. But it's just like, how do you respond? Anyway. Mm, uh, so he's like, I'll just be a minute. Uh, so Mark stands up and walks off the dinghy and into the water, just as John did. And Debbie and Brad are like, Mark, the sharks just ate John. You got to get back in the boat. 
And Mark, who was, you know, holding on to the edge of the dinghy, he's just at the dinghy, but holding on to it, dingling in the water. Dingling? Dangling. Dingling. <laughs> dingling in the water. This is not funny. We're back to serious mode. Um, so he's holding on to the side of the boat, and he says, no, it's fine. I'm just stretching my legs. And this part is pretty terrible. So in that moment, the three of them feel this huge bump on the bottom of the boat. And Mark had been pulled directly under the dinghy. And a bunch of sharks were having a feeding frenzy right below the dinghy. And Debbie said this was without a doubt the most horrifying moment of her entire life because they could feel the sharks underneath the dinghy tearing Mark apart. It was causing the boat to bounce up and down as the sharks were, you know, in this frenzied attack. Brad said at this point, the sharks had a taste of what they'd been following for days and now they wanted more. So they attempted to flip the dinghy with Debbie and Brad and Meg inside. And Debbie said that this lasted for what seemed like hours. And they're they're trying to, like, I don't know, like spread their weight across a bit. Pretty much. So, like, you don't get flipped over? Yeah, because now the sharks are, like, bumping the boat to, like, get them in the water as well. So that night, Debbie had woken up to hear Meg moaning on the other side of the boat. A moan that gradually turned into yelling. Meg then jumped on top of Brad and started going crazy. She was fighting him and screaming. It was like full-on exorcist. Um, And this only lasted a couple of seconds before she fell backwards and, you know, was just staring at them. But it was still obviously jarring and out of nowhere. But Brad's response to this in his interview was, I think she was just frustrated and she wanted to strike out at somebody. I mean, John really did her dirty, leaving... Uh, really did a dirty trick leaving her there in the raft and Meg was fully out of it at this point and Debbie described that she began moving her hands in the air like a Spanish dancer like she was in a completely some other world then she started talking nonsense really quietly to herself And Debbie said that this whole thing was very sad to watch because it became very clear to her that Meg was dying and this was her body's last-ditch effort to try and keep itself alive. So the three of them went to sleep and in the morning, Debbie and Brad woke up to find Meg dead in the bottom of the dinghy. Now this fetid mixture of liquid they'd been sitting in with urine and pus and everything else was made exponentially worse because Meg had been dead in it for God only knows how many hours. Brad then turns to Debbie and asks if they should eat her. He said... Oh my God. Yeah. Like logically that makes sense, but I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, they're starving. They're dehydrated. They're... It's, It's a lot. So he said you know, what I just said, they were starving and cannibalism at sea isn't an unheard of thing. Um, So he's working out in his mind if there's a way that they can butcher her and eat her. But Debbie quickly shuts this idea down because she's been dead for many hours at this point and her leg was so badly infected to begin with that there's no way that her body would have been safe to consume. So they decided to remove her jewelry and her clothes to give to her family And then they put her body on the side of the dinghy, said a prayer for her, and pushed her body into the water. They then decided it would be best if they just went back to sleep. That way, if the sharks attacked her, they wouldn't have to see. Brad believes that John was the reason she died. He said he broke her heart when he left her there alone, and that's what killed her. Debbie and Brad, at this point, are really struggling to hold on. They haven't had any food or water other than that short bit of rain at this point for five days. Um, And Brad was retching nonstop because of the water in the bottom of the boat um, that they were sitting in. And the sun was only making it worse. So Debbie comes to the conclusion that they need to turn the boat over and clean it out. Otherwise, they'll die. She said that they they hadn't seen sharks for hours, so now was their best bet. But she said she was really scared because she didn't want to live in that little rubber dinghy alone. But, you know, they had to do it. So Brad stood up and starts pulling at one of the ropes on the side to flip it over. But he loses his grip and falls over the side of the boat and into the water. He comes up and realizes that he can't pull himself back into the boat because he's too weak at this point. And he's begging Debbie to help him back into the boat. But at this point, the entire situation had gotten to her and she's just sobbing and can't move. Debbie said later that she just sobbed because she felt that she had just doomed Brad to death. 
If the shark showed up, they'd eat him. And in her mind, that was all her fault. But Brad is in this position where he's pissed because he's like, hey, I'm not dead yet. You need to pull yourself together and help me into the boat. Otherwise, the sharks are going to get me. But Debbie was beside herself just three feet from him and didn't move from where she was. Thankfully, Brad was able to pull himself back into the boat after a few attempts. So he's back. (laughs) Thank God. I can't imagine the survivor guilt she must have, she would have felt. Oh my God. I can't even imagine. But he made it back in the boat. Thank God. (laughs) So cool. Take a a breath. Some good news. We can (sighs) take a breath. (laughs) So now the two of them are on the opposite sides of the raft and Brad won't talk to Debbie. Brad is like, damn it, I just wanted to take a break and not think about all the death that had been happening for the past 15 hours. And right as he's able to calm down a bit, he looks out at the horizon and sees a boat coming directly at them. As Debbie is still crying and apologizing, Brad is like, Debbie, there's a ship. But she wasn't looking in that direction because she didn't really care. She said that she had heard that there was a ship so many times and they never saw them. So she just didn't really believe him. But, you know, after he's like, no, you need to turn around. And as she turns around, she sees, she sees that there's this huge boat coming toward them. And it was close enough that they were, they were seen by a man on the ship. And they started screaming and waving their arms. And all of this crew of this big boat came out and was staring at them. So they threw all of their life-saving equipment at them. And Debbie was just so excited that she jumped off of the boat and starts swimming toward them. And Brad is like, God damn it, you don't even, you're going to leave me here alone? Like, (laughs) what the, (laughs) like not even a goodbye? So he jumps in after her and they both make it to the boat and are both lifted out of the water and onto the deck of this huge boat. They were both laid down on the deck and they realized that the men were Russian It was some Russian vessel that was going somewhere then just happened to like convene with their dinghy. Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. Oh, Oh, a siren. And just like that, it's gone. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So Debbie and Brad were obviously elated. And Debbie said, there's never a day you're more thankful for life than the day you almost die. She said she's alive and she doesn't feel bad about it and she has no regrets and every day she wakes up, it's a new day and she's happy. She said she always tries to find something good in the bad things that happen. And Brad said about this whole scenario that the survival mode never really turns off. You just continue living in this state because it's impossible to turn it off and go back to being the way you were. And Brad said that he believes that John and Mark could have pulled through, but they just didn't have you know the they didn't want to essentially they reached the end of their rope and just didn't want to fight anymore but he said that debbie and his will to live was so strong that you know it was just unbreakable they were they were not willing to give up yeah i mean that's kind of like evident because they started drinking salt water because they both like are experienced sailors so they know so i wonder if that was their way of giving up yeah, it's very confusing because like they said, or like we talked about earlier, everyone, like I know that you're not supposed to drink seawater. Like that is very common knowledge. And for people who are expo- experienced in sailing and, you know, boating and were hired to bring this yacht to the, like, they know about not being able to drink ocean water, you know? Right. And, and like at that point, they're not delirious. I mean, they're delirious because they're exhausted and they're starving and they're dehydrated, but they're not like hallucinating yet to the point where they're like, oh, this is fresh water. I can drink it. So I'm just wondering like what was going through their minds, you know, because Meg didn't drink it, you know, it's, yeah. it's just weird. Why? It's not like they were out of their minds to the point where they didn't know they shouldn't drink it. It's just confusing. I'm not sure. But yeah, either way, Debbie and Mar- uh, Brad made it out alive and they are doing well. Or, you know, at the time. So um, after five days of floating at sea, the dinghy had drifted 140 miles from where the yacht had sank and was heading further and further away from land. So they were not coming back to the coast. They were not going to be like discovered by some small ship. Like their only hope was like some merchant vessel that was just so happened to stumble upon them. And it happened, thank God. But Mm -hmm. like it was just only getting worse as the days went on. So 
after the yacht didn't meet up with the merchant ships at their rendezvous point and the Coast Guard were unable to locate them, they called off the search. They had received a call that the trash man had made it safely into port during the storm. And um, who? Right. The person who made that call is still a mystery to this day. So the search was immediately wow. called off because somebody called in and said that the trash man had made it there. So it's like, why, who, <laughs> when, where? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what? who, what, when, where, why? How? They can't find out who it was? No. I mean, it was the 80s. So it's not like it's... That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that remains a mystery to this day. Um, but that's the reason the Coast Guard called off their, co- their their search. You know, my mind goes somewhere sinister, but maybe it was just like they didn't want to have to keep looking for them. I don't know. I, just, I can't I mean, explain that. I can't either. But I, I mean, it, it feels like how could it be anything other than sinister? Because it's like the trash man wasn't safely at port. So why would you say that it was? Don't know. Very weird. It almost feels like a cover up. You know? Yeah. But, but, what, but for it was what? a storm. Yeah, but for what? It was a natural cause. I know. Don't know. Who knows? So Brad and Debbie remained close after their survival together. And Debbie went on to write a book about this experience called Albatross, The True Story of a Woman's Survival at Sea in 1994. She decided that a college degree would add legitimacy to her work and weight to her words. So she enrolled at UTA, creating her own an interdisciplinary degree in media dynamics. She underwent regressive therapy, forcing herself to relive the time on the sea. It says on the sea. I, I copied and pasted, but re- relive her time at sea in order to write this book. Um, while the experiences were painful, she said that she needed to write the story to exercise the demons of the past and get on with her life. Writing that book helped her overcome her fear of sailing, and although it's something she approached with a great deal of caution in the future. So she's like, I'm not scared of it anymore, but we got a lot of planning to do before I... We gotta be real. We're gonna be really real before I get on a boat. Debbie lived outside of Boston with her two young children and her husband, who was actually a yacht designer for a time, and continued to write and worked on a fictional novel about insurance fraud in the horse show world. (laughs) Which I just thought was kind of really? silly. In the horse show. Mm-hmm. Like insurance on horses. Yeah, it was like a fictional, just a fictional novel about horse shows. Um, cool. Yeah, and spent a lot of her time reaching out to other survivors of life-threatening experiences as a motivational speaker. Sadly, she died in 2012 at her home in Mexico from unknown causes at the age of 54. Um, and that is the end of Debbie's story. But I couldn't find too much about what happened to Brad up like today but he continues to work as a mariner i don't know why it was so hard to say mariner uh in massachusetts and he races yachts around the world oh so he's fully not scared he's kicking it okay he's doing yeah he's doing good um so yeah i mean the the thing that i or the source that i found that little blurb about brad was published in 2019 so i mean you know He's, at, at, as far as I know, he's kicking it, you know? He's kicking it. He's yeah. racing yachts. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, so, good for him. Yeah. And that concludes the story of the Trashman Yacht Disaster. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> yeah. Take a breath. <laughs> yeah. That's so tragic. Mm-hmm. And then Meg didn't ask for any of this. No. No. She yeah. was just, she thought she was going to be on a yacht with her boyfriend for a couple days and then end up in Florida. That sucks. How wrong she was. I know. That's so terrible. It is. It is terrible. And it's just like, I don't know. I mean, like when, when, uh, like Brad and and Debbie said, like they needed to have each other as their survivor partner. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, they, they wouldn't make it. Like, I think it was super important for John to be there for Meg and for Meg to be there for John. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just don't understand where the disconnect was and like why I just can't wrap my head around why John and Mark would drink seawater. And again, I'm not judging because, or I guess I am kind of, but like, I, I don't, I try not to judge because again, I'm, I've never been in a situation like that and I can't really put myself there completely, but it's just hard to wrap my head around. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, if you've been without water for three days, I'm sure that the seawater might start looking uh, more appetizing, but yeah, they should. They, I'm, they knew. I mean, I'm sure it looks very yeah. appealing because you're, you know, you're surrounded by water, but you can't, can't drink, drink it, it, which is like 
just the biggest a mind fuck. It's just a big mind fuck, you know. Yeah. But I mean, it 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 does terrible things to you. Like it, it, I think it shuts down your kidneys. Like it, it obviously causes you to hallucinate. You and you die. Like you literally die. So, them drinking the seawater, knowing that, is confusing. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I don't know, but either way. That is the story, and it is crazy. And thank you to the person on TikTok who suggested it because it was a, it was a, a time to research it. You know, for sure. Yeah. What's and your good thing? My good thing. Hmm. Oh, do you want me to go first? Sure, go first. What's oh, your wow, good thing this week? Uh, my good thing is that I am RSVPing for my cousin's wedding in April. In yes. Key West. Sure. It'll be the first time leaving our apartment essentially leaving the lair yeah our cave for you know a year looks at watch looks at watch i did yeah. go um in the middle for golf oh yeah but you, you know. drove to i drove it was, it was very fine. safe it was yeah. safe it was covid safe yes but yeah that'll be the first hopefully you'll have the vaccine by then we'll see we'll see yeah oh i guess that could be my good thing i i found out that i'll be in group 1b for our vaccine and i'm excited to get it because i'm back to work and that's also kind of a good thing i'm back to work and it's uh it's nice to be back and like be around people and have something to do and you know have a paycheck again so that's cool um so i'm looking forward to the future that is that is my good thing amen yeah group one one b tier two yes love it yes so yeah um thank you guys so much for listening um don't forget to send us a story if you have one and if you'd like to follow us on instagram follow us at no today underscore podcast send us an email at no today podcast at gmail.com follow me on tiktok at not today podcast and just keep breathing yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>